This is most certainly true. The Word became flesh. Our Savior God was born a humble baby to set a world of sinners free. He became a person so that He could save people like us. And because He lived and died in our place, now we have a promise of life forever in heaven. Join our celebration of the birth of Jesus with this sermon recently delivered at Grace. The second reading from Titus chapter 3. God showers us with his love, with peace, and with joy. These words will serve as the basis for tonight's sermon. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Christmas is a season of kindness. Charities do their highest volume of donations during this time of year. Christmas tends to make people generous and put them in a generous mood. It's like there's kindness in the air. But there's something else that's in the air. It's that something else that's going to make this Christmas a little bit different, a little unique when compared to other Christmas celebrations. It's... That's something else that's in the air that forces us towards mask mandates and social distancing. It's that something else in the air that has us restricted on the number of people that can gather in one place. It's that other thing that's in the air that has at least some parts of this world turned upside down. It's that other thing that's in the air that has this outreach pastor's heart quite conflicted. Between today and tomorrow, we have the privilege of offering six worship services, six opportunities to worship the newborn king, and we've sold out all of them, which is an awesome thing, and I thank God that it's not the other way around, but what a sad thought to think that there were others, members of our family, members of our community who could have or maybe wanted to join us but weren't able to because there wasn't any room. Thank God for technology and a live stream where we know that there are so many more gathering with us tonight. I wonder if this is what Mary and Joseph felt like that night in Bethlehem. No room for them in the inn. Is your Christmas going to be scaled back this year? Maybe fewer people gathered around the tree in the living room, or maybe there's going to be fewer gifts under the tree or smaller gifts this year. Has the virus and its impact on our economy or maybe your personal finances had an impact on your Christmas kindness? Or maybe it's got nothing to do with Christmas or nothing to do with covid Maybe you just find yourself kind of always being in that space, wanting to have more so that you could give more, finding yourself wishing that you could be more generous. 
Wouldn't it be nice to be a philanthropist? Wouldn't it be nice to have resources like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates that can have any cause pull at his heartstrings and he writes the check and if, the, if he doesn't make those problems go away, at least helps in a substantial way. What a life it must be to be a philanthropist. We use that word to talk about millionaires and billionaires who do exactly what I just described, use the sums, the great sums of wealth that they have to help needy people or to advance good causes. But the word itself is quite a bit simpler than that. It really is a word that means someone who loves people. One dictionary defined it this way. A philanthropist is one who has affectionate concern for and interest in humanity. That word is one of the words that is in our lesson for tonight. Although you didn't hear me read that word from the lectern because the translation we used used a simpler word instead, the word love. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. But the word that Paul used in writing a letter to his young pastor friend, Titus. It was a Greek word that you didn't even know that you know. Philanthropia. God is the philanthropist in our lesson tonight. God is the one who has the affectionate concern for and interest in humanity. God is the one that is showing Christmas kindness. God is the one that is showing fatherly philanthropy. God is the one who shows an interest in people, in you and in me. He shows us Christmas kindness by saving us. And the proof is right there in these words that God blesses us to have before us today. Not in a big word like philanthropia, but in a very small word. The very first word of our reading. But. If you're an English major, you know that the word but is an adversative conjunction. And what that means is that it connects two phrases, sentences, thoughts, and then puts an opposite in play. There's one thought and then the but turns it on its head and makes it maybe the opposite of what you might expect or or the opposite thing might happen from what you would maybe intend or, or expect. She didn't get the phone she wanted for Christmas, but she appreciated the other gifts that she got. We should have two inches of snow on the ground by now, but we'll have to settle for the couple of flakes that were seen blowing in the wind this morning. He forgot to get her sister a gift, but... Thank goodness that Amazon has next day delivery. That word but three letters, but it's the biggest word in our lesson for tonight because it's the word that sets the whole reading into context. And it's the word that gives it its meaning and its significance for us. And in order to see what thoughts it is that it's joining, you have to go back one verse prior to where I started reading before. That's verse 3. That's where Paul says, At one time we too were foolish, 
disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's the reality of our lives. Foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, that's us, living for ourselves. Following the desires that our sinful hearts love to chase after, always rejecting authority, choosing the path that my mind has set as the best path and stubbornly going that way, and closing my ears to anyone who suggests otherwise. Malice and envy are words that hit far too close to home and describe uncomfortably accurately the condition of this heart and yours. How quick we are to anger when something doesn't go our way. How easily we're tempted to be a short fuse and to lash out. How accurately the word envy describes us, never really, truly being content with where we are and what God has given us, always finding someone who has it better, always wishing that we had what someone else had or thinking that we're just one step, one gift, one talent, one possession away from being happy. We don't live up to the standards that God has placed before us in his law We don't live the lives that God expects of us, and that means that we deserve punishment, death. We deserve hell. But, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He showed us his fatherly philanthropy. He showed us his Christmas kindness Kindness and love appeared when God himself appeared as a baby born in Bethlehem. Kindness and love appeared when God himself appeared and displayed his acts of power and love, showing himself to be the savior of the world. Kindness and love appeared when God himself appeared. The fulfillment of centuries worth of promises and prophecies. Kindness and love appeared when God became man to set men free. They only needed to watch the promotional video once. Filmed at a refugee camp in a war-torn country, this young couple knew after watching it once, they looked at each other and didn't have to say a word. Their eyes and the emotions of their facial expression said it all. We have to do something. The pain and the poverty that they saw was something they would never forget. They wanted, they needed to do something. And they were going to do something more tangible than just the donation of less than the cup of, the price of one cup of coffee a day. They were going to make a difference. And so they looked up what it would take to adopt a child from that refugee camp, and they determined, and they prayed, and they decided that that's what they were going to do. And so they contacted the adoption agency. And they didn't look for the cutest little girl or the most strapping of young boys. In fact, they asked for the opposite. They wanted a child who was sick. 
They asked for the agency to find a child who wasn't going to last much longer in those conditions. That was the child they want. They didn't care how much it would cost for medical care. They didn't care how all-consuming it would be to raise a child like that. They didn't care that their effort and energy and resources were going to go towards the raising of this child. They didn't care. Their hearts were breaking. They wished that they could adopt them all, but they knew at least for this one they would make a difference. They could change a life. They could save a life. Our God has adopted us from conditions that would have certainly cost us our lives. He's adopted us from sin and guilt. He's adopted us out of captivity and into his family. No way we could have gotten out on our own. No way we could pull ourselves out of those conditions. Nothing that we could offer to God to make it worth his while, yet that didn't deter him one bit from giving us so much. God saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God saved us because his is a heart that's filled with mercy. He loves us because he is a God of love. He rescued us because he was the only one who could do it. He was willing to go to great lengths, to leave heaven itself and come to earth, to give life itself up so that we could live. Jesus was willing to take on flesh and blood so that that blood could be shed for your salvation and mine. And then God delivers that salvation to us as individuals. He offers us that forgiveness and grace. He gives us the Holy Spirit through word and sacrament. In baptism, he literally pours out the Holy Spirit on us. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In baptism, we see our name on that gift tag connected to that package of God's grace. In baptism, we see our sins being forgiven. In baptism, his blood washes us clean. In baptism, God shows us Christmas kindness. Everything that the angels announced, everything that the shepherds witnessed and proclaimed comes true for us. Good news of great joy, it's ours. Peace on earth between sinners and a holy God, it's ours. We can join with Simeon and sing, My eyes have seen your salvation. Christmas kindness is what our God has given to us, and now he gives us an opportunity to share Christmas kindness with others. We have opportunities in our lives to show and share the kindness that our God has given to us. We can do it through acts of kindness, through gentle and loving words. We can do it by lending a helping hand when it's needed, by offering a word of encouragement to someone who looks like they might be down, by giving a shoulder to cry on or an arm of support. We can do it with simple deeds or grand gestures. We can share Christmas kindness. And if God blesses, a relationship so, then we might have the opportunity to do the next thing, to share why. 
Why it is that we are so eager to share Christmas kindness? Why it is that we can have this kind of love? We can show Christmas kindness because Christmas kindness is what God showed to us. We can show love and grace because God has shown us the best of love and grace. We're simply passing on to others what God has so generously given to us. We can look for opportunities this Christmas time and throughout the year that others might experience Christmas kindness, that others might know the warmth of God's love, that many more might see in Jesus their Savior and their King. Not many of us are straddled with the burden of deciding what we're going to do upon our death with our exorbitant wealth. But that's the kind of thing that millionaires and billionaires lose sleep over. How much money should we pass on to the next generation? What should we give? What's the right amount? What's the sweet spot? Would you like to know what Warren Buffett has to say about passing on an inheritance? He says, you should leave your children enough so they can do anything, but not enough so that they can do nothing. Let me read that again. You should leave your children enough so that they can do anything, but not enough so that they can do nothing. Would you like to hear Warren Buffett's idea of not enough so that they can do nothing? He's made it public that he is passing along to each of his three children two billion dollars. Bill Gates is worth substantially more than Warren Buffett. Bill Gates is worth 129 billion with a B, billion dollars. He's giving his kids a much smaller percentage. He's publicly stated that each of his three kids will receive only a meager $10 million upon his death. I think it still would be okay to be a Gates child. Huh? Our fatherly philanthropist doesn't lose sleep over how much he's going to leave us in our inheritance God's not afraid of ruining us by being too lavish and gracious. In fact, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God giving us everything that he intends to give. It's all about making us heirs of the fullness of his grace, the fullness of forgiveness, the fullness of his love. And there it is for us. Lying in a manger. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, the fullness of God's grace. There we see in Jesus the best gift that we could ever receive. Exactly what we needed. Wrapped up perfectly. God wraps himself in human flesh so that he can be the Savior we need, so that he can be the only Savior that could do the job, so that he could be the one to welcome us to everlasting life. The words that are before us tonight, they end in what's called a result clause. What's going to happen because these things are true? Kindness and love appeared, so now what? God showers us with the spirit in baptism, and now now what? God appeared in the flesh, and so now what? 
so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Christmas means that we are justified, declared not guilty in God's sight. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus accomplished the mission, because he lived for us, because he offered that body and shed that blood on the cross of Calvary so that we could be forgiven. Because he rose again to render death powerless against us. Because he ascended into heaven and now prepares the place where we will spend an eternity with him. Because he promises grace and every blessing, the fullness of an inheritance of being a child in the family of God. Not a portion, not a percentage, the fullness. We are heirs of everlasting life, and that's not just something for the future. We are heirs today. That's why we can join the angels in singing songs of Christmas joy. That's why that joy can be ours, not just today, but every day. Because our God has shown us his Christmas kindness. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you.